Today's scripture comes from Lamentations, chapter 2, verses 11 uh, through 13. My eyes fail, fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. Because children and infants in the, faint in the cities, streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city. As to their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. What can I say to you? With what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your, weep, your wound is as deep as a sea. Who can heal you? This is the word of the Lord for us. When you think of heartbreak, you get the image of that teenager who just got dumped. And Maybe it leads to crying or eating a carton of ice cream or crying alone in their bedroom instead of going to the school dance. And unfortunately, it's something that most people experience as part of those formative adolescent years. And while you're devastated in the moment and you're just not sure that life can even go on, it gets better. And you grow stronger and in some ways why it helps to shape you into the person that you are, and really it prepares you then for other friendships and relationships. But what if I told you that you should let your heart be broken? What? You're crazy, man. You'd say, no way. I'm not a doormat. I've had enough heartbreak. Well, in the Bible, God seems to call people to brokenheartedness. To be moved with compassion and urgency in those places where there is suffering and sorrow. Like the young prophet Jeremiah. We started a sermon series last week and talked about him. We'll be in Jeremiah again this morning. But he longed for his people to thrive. He wanted to see them walking in obedience to the Lord. And, and he was grieving when he saw the sin of his people, he wept. He cried out to God on their behalf. He let his heart be broken. And so I'd like to suggest to us this morning that we should do the same. So let me introduce myself. I'm John, just honored to serve as lead pastor here at MCA. I'm thrilled that you're with us today. I pray that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. So it's easy to look at the headlines. We've all done that probably this week. And be filled with sorrow. And, and to see what's happening in our nation and around the globe. We, we watched just this week as the people of Afghan, Afghanistan are, are suffering tremendously. We've seen the violence. We, we know what they are enduring. This armed takeover from the Taliban. Their president deserted them. And I'm not making, I, I don't want to make too, too much uh, political commentary this morning. You, you know that that's not what I'm about. But what does that do to you when your president deserts you? It leaves them even more desperate. And so our, we, we understand then that our brothers and sisters in Christ there, they are facing certain persecution. They're, they're facing life and death situations. Churches are, are being closed as we speak. Pastors are being threatened. Stop preaching. Stop gathering the church. With this kind of unrest and uncertainty, of course, we know many are trying to flee 
the country. And we've seen, and I don't want to be graphic this morning, we've got children with us, but we've seen some of those really graphic images of the desperation that they're facing. And so our hearts go out to them. We hurt with them. We hurt for them. So when we plan to do this five-part sermon series in Jeremiah and Lamentations, which is about suffering, we had no idea what would be happening in our world. I do just love God's timing. So we've been planning for this, what I would say is a very unique sermon series. These books of, of Jeremiah and Lamentations. We're calling it Sorrow and Hope. I've never preached Jeremiah or Lamentations before. <laughs> Lamentations is this sort of strange book in the Bible. It's a Hebrew dirge. It's a poem of, of lament and agony and grief and sorrow. Jeremiah is this, and, and I'll confess to you, I love the scriptures. I love God's word. Jeremiah is one of these that's just a marathon of a read. In the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the Psalms is the longest. The second longest is Jeremiah. It's a long book. In some ways, it is kind of a real downer. And yet, we study all of scripture and we trust in God's beautiful timing to lead us and to help us navigate even times like these. So this is going to be a five-part series. We started last week. This is week two. And we're going to watch this young prophet, Jeremiah, as he really sees his people, the people chosen by God, and they are facing this impending enemy takeover. And the pain and difficulty and struggle in these books highlight the character of God. They highlight the character of God. And they then propel each and every one of us to hope. So turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to be in, in two chapters, so you might want to put a bookmark or use your finger. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 8 as well as Lamentations chapter 2. So turn to Lamentations chapter 2, and let's key in on verse 19. I would encourage you, by the way, over these weeks, especially the book of Lamentations, to read it. It's got five chapters. It's an acrostic poem. Of course, we lose that in the English translation. But it's beautiful poetry of lament. And so if we look at Lamentations 2 and verse 19, here's what Jeremiah writes. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. And so here is the word for today. If you're a note taker, if you, if you are listening for what's the main point, what's the key idea this morning, here's the word for today. When you find yourself crying out because things are wrong, be encouraged to look to the one who is perfectly right. When you find yourself crying out because things are so wrong, be encouraged to look to the one who is perfectly right. And so God, my friends, uses the brokenhearted to carry out his will and his mission, to, to stir up faith and ultimately to bring glory to himself. Like in the year 1947, a man named Robert Pierce was on a mission trip. There was a little girl who was just in need, and her caretaker said, we don't have the resources for her. He had exactly $5, and he gave it 
for the little girl. And when he left, he said, I'll send another $5 next month and the month after that. And when he came back, he, he traveled around North America and he shared videos and photos with the church world. And he showed them the great need in China and other places where, where children didn't have their basic needs met. And he began to ask them, would you consider helping? Would you consider sending some money each month to help a child in need? And we find written in the Bible of this man, Robert Pierce, this prayer. He said, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. It's no surprise then that just three years later, 1950, he launched World Vision, which is still doing ministry today and caring for the needs of children around the world. Why did that happen? Because he let his heart be broken. Our Lord Jesus had his heart broken. He was moved with compassion. We, we did a study of the Gospel of Mark and we saw that, that he, was, he was moved and he had compassion when he saw that there were people who were like sheep without a shepherd. There's a description of Jesus in his ministry in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5 and verse 7. It says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with, and here's why I wanted to use this verse to look closely at it, with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. It's fair to say the life and ministry of Jesus broke his heart cost him his life. So Jeremiah, he had a difficult ministry too. If you were with us last week, you learned a little bit about his plight, but uh, suffice it to say, this young guy was sent to deliver a really hard message. And, and it was a message that required a response from his people where they would repent, where they would change, where they would alter their lives. And you know, people just don't respond too well when you try to boss them around. <laughs> Who are you to tell me how I should live my life? I mean, we see that even today. Maybe would even confess that we have those tendencies ourselves. So people didn't respond too well to Jeremiah's message of change your ways, but he proclaimed it anyway. He, he went about proclaiming the message that God have, has given him, and he did it with a tear in his eye, with a broken heart. So this morning, what I'd like to do with the rest of our time together, as we're considering, does God call us to be brokenhearted? And what does that mean? Is I, I'd like to look together at these two chapters in Scripture, Jeremiah 8, Lamentations 2, and see three reasons that our hearts should break. So three reasons... Lessons from Jeremiah, why our hearts should break. And the first is this, that our hearts should break because of sin. We can't put it more clearly than that, more black and white than that. Jeremiah was lamenting sin, the sin of his people. And you and I should grieve over sin as well. Of course, this begins with our own life and heart. This begins with recognizing, confessing, our own sin before God. Oh, that we would have a regular practice and habit of confessing our sin, repenting of that sin, turning from our sin, and then asking God to lead us in his way everlasting. 
So open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 8. Let's look at verse 5. You can hear the desperation. You can hear the brokenheartedness of this young man who God has issued this warning to. The people had better get it right. If not, I mean, I'm going to bring the boom. I mean, you're going to be invaded. You're going to be conquered. You're going to be taken over. Verse 5 of Jeremiah chapter 8. Why then have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? They cling to deceit. They refuse to return. He knows that these are God's chosen people. He knows that God has blessings in store for them. This great reward. Why, he cries out, have they chosen to turn away? Let's keep reading there in that passage, verse 6. He says, I have listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, what have I done? Each pursues their own course like a horse charging into battle. And then he says in verse 7, even the stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons. And the dove and the swift and the thrush observe their time of their migration. He's saying, these people are more stupid than brute beasts. Even the storks know when they're supposed to fly. Even birds know their migration seasons. And these people refuse to turn back to Almighty God who loves them and who has called them to himself. He says at the end there, but my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. He says they're, they're just charging ahead in their sinful practices like a war horse charging into battle. They, they have no idea of the danger involved. But they should have. And Jeremiah certainly knew the impending danger that was coming. The Lord had told him, but really, God had told his whole nation. They all should have known what was coming. To, to put this in a historical context, the people of Israel, the chosen ones of God, well, their kingdom was divided. You, you might remember that, that, that we had the northern kingdom of Israel. We had the southern kingdom of Judah. These happened to be the ones in the south in Judah. Why should they know that if they continue sinning, they'll be conquered? Because 90 years before this, their brothers and sisters in the north in Israel did the exact same thing. And guess what happened? The enemies came in and conquered them. Like they had seen this with their own eyes, or at least their grandparents had, their parents had. They should have known that they are facing the judgment of God because of their sin, that the enemy is coming in, and the Lord even specifically says, from the north, to take you out. But they didn't walk in obedience to the word of the Lord. So we have this same charge to you and I. It's in the New Testament, James 1.22. You know that verse where it says, be doers of the word not hearers of it, right? right? Like this, this reminds us of Jesus' time on earth during his ministry, and he's facing down people who were experts in the Bible. These people knew the scriptures. They knew the laws. In fact, they were, they were writing additional laws to keep them in tune with the law. Like they were students of the word, you could say, but they didn't practice it. They just argued and debated the scriptures. They didn't follow them. And so, no, today's not a feel-good message for us. But to be faithful to the word of God, I think it's necessary to proclaim today that our hearts should be broken over sin in our own lives, 
in the lives of our children and family, in our faith community, in our nation, in our world. But these, these stories, even, even this, this destruction of the people of God in Judah, it's a downer of a story. But even there, it's a story of sorrow and hope. Because even though, yes, the enemy is coming. Yes, Jerusalem is going to be laid waste. Yes, they're going to be invaded. Yes, they're going to be carried off into exile for 70 years as the Lord prophesied. But in all of it, God was drawing his people back to himself. He's not an angry God who takes delight in human suffering. He's using this to draw his people back to his heart. Listen, when you find yourself crying out because things are so wrong, be encouraged to look to the one who is perfectly right. We should be heartbroken because of sin. Secondly, our hearts break because of suffering. As I said, you don't have to look very far to see pain, to see heartache, to see uh, right now what's happening in Haiti or Afghanistan or other places. We, we know. I mean, our world is so connected now. Uh, one scholar says we live in a global village where we know what's happening on the other side of the world. We, we can know in a, it, it, within a, a, a moment's notice when a, a tragedy occurs. So we know that there are places in the world where children don't have access to clean water. We might not want to think about that or dwell on that, but we know that's true. And for some of us, that's really agitating. We know that some of them are dying because of preventable disease and illness. We know about places where there's civil unrest, where there's violence, where there's corruption. Voice of the Martyrs uh, helps us understand where there's persecution happening in the world. But we don't have to go outside of our own borders to see suffering. We can look right here in our own community, in our own nation, in our own world to see People are depressed. People are lonely. People are isolated. They're suffering. Most people have experienced anxiety or trauma. If nothing else, due to the inflation happening in our country. <laughs> so turn with me to Lamentations chapter 2. Let's go back to verse 11 where Renee read for us a few minutes ago. My eyes fail from weeping, Jeremiah writes. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. Because children and infants fade in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where's bread and wine? They faint like the wounded in the streets of their city as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. What a horrible picture of suffering. Do you hurt when you see suffering? Or do you just distract yourself? I don't want to think about that. I want to think happy thoughts. Oh, that God would break our hearts. For people that are disenfranchised and lonely, people that are abused and neglected. Break our hearts for the lives of the unborn who don't have a voice. 
break our hearts for orphans who don't have a family or refugees who don't have a home, victims of tragedy. We know what the Bible says about the body of Christ. When one part suffers, help me out, every part suffers with it. So Jeremiah writes, this is back in Jeremiah 8. I know we're kind of toggling between the two chapters. Verse 21. I am broken by the brokenness of my dear people. I mourn. Horror has taken hold of me. One of the best illustrations of this is probably parents. And parents go, mm-hmm. I know that's not our tradition in the Mennonite church. Last week, uh, I got more feedback during the sermon from a little infant than from anyone else in the room. I know we're not into the amening and the mm-hmmming, but parents know this better than anybody else, that you feel the pain of your children, that you lose sleep at night when they're in trouble. Your hearts break for them and their plight and the mountains that they face. And so then in the next verse there, Jeremiah 8 and verse 22, here's what he says. He says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? The balm of Gilead. Well, this was a place famous for its healing ointment. It was a symbol of hope. It was a city of cure. It was a place where they had the remedy. You're sick. You're hurt. There is a remedy for you. And God is just showing his people that they had turned to the wrong remedies. That they turned to these temporary solutions, but that they had far deeper spiritual wounds that needed ultimate healing. So what was happening, again, if you were with us last week, you have a little bit more insight into this, but the the people of Israel, they were turning to the other nations. They were forming even like military alliances. They had to pay tribute. They uh, intentionally, willingly, deliberately participated in detestable pagan worship practices. They were worshiping other gods. They were looking for other methods to heal them, to help them in their time of need. But they needed that ultimate balm to heal them. This is a reference to Jesus. Jesus is the balm of Gilead. He's the ultimate physician who heals our wounds, who restores us. Oh yeah, we attempt to run to and turn to those temporary solutions. When we're hurting, when we're angry, when we're lonely, when we're tired. When we think no one's watching. But I want you to hear this today. Maybe you haven't really been tuned in. Maybe you haven't heard much of what I've been saying. You're like, this is a down over sermon. I'm out. I want you to hear this. There is no hope without Jesus Christ. There is no hope without him. And some of you. You just keep trying to depend on your own strength and your own ideas and your own resources and your own ingenuity and your own goodness. And you know what you are? You're weary and you're tired and you're wounded and you're sick. And I want you to hear this. You will never be healed. You will never be whole. You will never be restored until you come to Christ. And so I would invite you right here, 
right now to pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me my wrongs. Be my savior. Lead me and guide me and heal me. And to pray that in Jesus' name. And maybe that's the first time you've ever prayed that. Or maybe you're agreeing with that prayer and you've done it for the thousandth time. Doesn't matter. Each and every time, God responds to our prayer with compassion. To draw near to us. To meet us right where we are. And you know what God wants to do? He wants to transform us. He he wants to, to help us. Because we're bent on sin and and like a self-centered lifestyle. And he wants to give us an abundant life lived for Jesus, lived for his glory. Listen, when you find yourself crying out because things are so wrong, be encouraged today to look to the one who is perfectly right. And I would push us even further today and say, and ask God to give you a broken heart for those who don't yet know him. That's our third point this morning. Is that we have broken hearts because of lost souls. Troy shared with us this morning the vision that God has given us as a local church family right here at MCA. And it's very simple and we can break it down into two parts. The vision that God has given us. Number one, becoming a vibrant community of transformed people. In a word, discipleship. Growing in Christ in the context of Christian community where we do life together. Number two, sharing the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. In a word, evangelism. Like, Like sharing this good news of hope in Jesus. Bringing another one into the kingdom. I actually like to put it this way. I don't know if I've shared this publicly with you. But the first part... The vibrant community, the discipleship aspect is one anothering. All, and we, we need to do a study together sometime on that. Just the beautiful New Testament passage and concept of one anothering, where it's love one another, uh, one another, serve one another, pray for one another, care for one another. So it's one anothering. And the second part, evangelism, is another one. Like, like bringing another one, another person, another Man or woman made in the image of God into God's forever family, into his kingdom. And listen, we have the opportunity to do that today and every day until it's too late. And so we need a sense of urgency because one day it is going to be too late. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 8. Let's look at verse 20. He says, harvest has passed. Summer has ended. And we're like, "Mm mm-hmm, summer has ended. Kids are back in school. Fall is right around the corner. But we have not been saved. The harvest is a time for gathering grain. Jeremiah is speaking in a way that his his people understand this. The, The summer was when they gathered the fruit. Sometimes for their people, if if one was a failure, why you certainly hoped that the other would come through. But if both of them failed, if you missed the harvest. And the fruit harvest of summertime, you are really facing tragedy. Time's up. Party's over. There comes a time. Here's the message, right? Here's the message for his people. There comes a time when it's too late. That farmer, he, he's got to 
bring in the crops. And there's a time frame on that, and, and he's got to do it within that time frame. This sense of urgency is required for us to bring in the harvest of souls. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. There's a, an old preacher, Vance Havner, and he put it this way. He says, the tragedy of our time is that the situation is desperate, but the saints are not. We live in a lost and broken world. We live in desperate times, and desperate times demand action. How often does your heart break when you see the lost souls in your community, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, or around the globe. So before we conclude, and those that are being baptized got up and are getting changed, some of you are wondering, why is half the church leaving? Is the pastor a heretic? They're getting ready. We're going to baptize here in just a few minutes. But I want to offer a few quick action steps for us before we conclude. And the first is repent. <laughs> It is to simply recognize that each and every one of us has done wrong and separated ourselves from a holy and loving God. And so we stand in need of Jesus to rescue us. And we need to turn from our sin and turn to Christ. It does no good. Listen, here's the, here's the message for us. We're in the church. We are the church. It does no good for us to just pshaw the rest of the world and their sin and their issues when we ignore our own shortcomings and sins and wrongdoings. See, that's where we become hypocrites. It's like, listen, I'm not perfect, and I make mistakes, and I sin, and I do wrong, and I stand in need of the forgiveness of God. Now, is there a time for a Christian accountability where I come to you as a brother or sister? Yes, there is, and we know about that. But let's let our hearts be broken first and foremost over our own sin and allow that to propel us to repentance. Secondly, pray. Doing what Jesus said to do there in Matthew chapter 9. A harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So what, do we, what should we do? We should pray for the Lord to send workers. And let me just ask this. Those things that are troubling you and bothering you, have you prayed about them? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Before you grumble about it. Before you have the conversations about it. Before you post on Facebook about it. Have you prayed? Have you fasted? If you're really troubled, if you're really pleading with God for something to change, fast. Believers of Jesus, followers of Jesus are expected. He doesn't command us to fast. Why? Because he expects us to fast as a regular practice of spiritual discipline and growth. It's a great prayer tool. Have you stood in the gap and interceded in those places that are broken and desperate? And I would encourage you to do so. Pray. The scriptures tell us that the prayer of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Get in the game. Join in. Be a part of what God is doing by praying. And then a third action step is simply clinging desperately to hope. <laughs> like not losing hope. Don't be discouraged. Yes, we get knocked down. Yes, we experience sorrow. But listen, God is merciful. I told you that the, these books, this, this literature, and Jeremiah and Lamentations, 
it highlights the character of God. God is merciful. We see that from the scriptures. And therefore, for that reason, we have hope. Don't lose hope. Don't stop living for Christ. Don't stop sharing Jesus. Don't become hard-hearted. Because listen, God uses people with broken hearts. Will you let your heart be broken so that God can use you for his kingdom and for his glory? Use you for a broken and hurting and dying and desperate world? Great theologian and author C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So maybe we shouldn't try to avoid pain and sorrow and suffering. Maybe we should lean into it and ask God, what are you doing through this? And how do you want me to use me to bring about hope and healing and help? When we are experiencing trial and challenge and hardship and suffering, sometimes we're tempted to think God's angry at us. God's punishing us. Again, we should remember It's God's righteous anger towards sin that he wants to set us free from it. That he sent his one and only son who lived a perfect life, who paid the penalty for it. And when we put our trust in him, we walk in the fullness and the newness of life that God has designed. And we're going to hear stories of that in just a moment. When you're crying out, Because things are so wrong. Be encouraged, my friend, to look to the one who is perfectly right. Let's pray. Almighty God, we don't always understand your plan and your will. And Lord, there are plenty of times where we scratch our heads wondering, why is there suffering? But Lord, you are merciful, and we proclaim that today, and we are grateful for your mercy. That you've not given us what our sins deserve, but you sent Jesus as our substitute, and what you offer us is an abundant life. And so, Lord, we would pray the very dangerous and very bold prayer this morning. Oh God, would you break our hearts with what breaks yours? Would you then stir us up to faith? And maybe the first step is prayer and fasting. To be used by you. To proclaim hope to the nations. To serve that friend in need. To love another one into your kingdom. Lord, you are faithful to us. And you will accomplish your will. And we submit ourselves to it. In the mighty and matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.